85% of black people fill the prison. Is it cause they black or they make bad decisions? I ain't good at math, but it seems like it's division. Or is it white privilege? I believe politicians need to be locked up. Try to take our freedoms, that's how you get shot up. Got our back against the wall, try to just stop us. More guns, more ammunition, please stock up. Election gets rigged, rights get infringed. Take this syringe, frighten your kids, show up right where you live. Make me wanna grab a rifle and just go. You act like you're so much better than us. Yeah, we know that. Who told you that you so special? A new, a new world order. Well, you know, not so fast. Not so fast. Today was end scene. Damn, it took a while though. I'll tell you that. It took a long, long, hard time. See, just a little tidbit. I have been extremely busy these past three weeks. My life is not my own. It was being controlled by forces that I could not handle. Right? I could not. I could not refuse. I could not say no. It just happened. Now, I obviously am not going to talk about those uncalled forces. But I can say that for the past... uh, hmm, Have you guys ever, you know, what was that movie called? That's right. We talked about it once. Hold on. Uh, Let's see. Let's see see the part where. Okay, hold on. That one. And then that one. Give me a second. What does that matter? Hold on a second. I'm going to show you something. And this will make sense in the next coming months, right? But sometimes in order to show exactly what's happening, you have to have the people live through it, right? Now, um, I have been working with someone that a lot of people adore uh, on my documentary and, uh, you know, incredible visionary. Uh, I did not expect so soon to have the end scene. And so... Uh, you know, even though it was it was cr- crazy insane yesterday, I had like a, an emergency that I didn't expect. It was like <laughs> completely took me blindsided, like I was shocked. Um, I still managed to do my campaign event uh, remotely, um, but you know, I knew it was coming. I just I just didn't know when it would actually happen. And boy, it went public today. So I was like, this is perfect. And so the reason I say this is because this is a scoop now, right? You know, there was Shadowgate 1, then Shadowgate 2, but there's a Shadowgate 3. And it'll expose an individual that tells you they don't like IIA operations, but they actually deployed them within the United States before. And so this has been going on and on. And, you know, sometimes just like in the movie, let me just show you this movie, sometimes in the movie, right? Sometimes even the actors forget, right? Where is it? This movie. Let me just play this for you so you can see it. What does that matter? A bloated millionaire fat cat like you. In other financial news, stock markets rose both domestically and abroad today after the announcement of stronger-than-expected earnings by several high-tech companies, but dipped again, reacting to reports that Nicholas Van Orton had sneezed. 
Are you going to spend the rest of the evening crying at that clown's mouth? I, I, I don't... It's frustrating for me if you don't, you don't pay attention. What is this? This is your game, Nicholas, and welcome to it. I'm here to let you in on a few ground rules. You receive the very first key, and others will follow. You'll never know where you'll find them, or how you'll need to use them. So keep your eyes open. How do you... you can see me? Let's save the questions till afterwards. How does this work? There's a tiny camera looking at you right now. It's impossible. You're right, impossible. You're having a conversation with your television. It's miniaturized. You know how dangerous that is? Mr. Van Orden? And in domestic news, in Southern California... Yes, you so what is it? Is everything all right? Fine. Petroleum processing plant, yes. I've finished for the evening. Will you be needing anything else? No, I won't. You'll sit Thank you. Good night. So sometimes people like to play games and they're hired to do so. And so what they do is they find a way that they can attach themselves to specific journalists. Uh, super game theory. And so as they're trying to attach themselves, they try to find the right fit because then that shows the analytics, right? And so as you try to attach yourself, you don't expect a game grandmaster to come in and say, hey, how are you? Let me. And it's like, that's just way too easy. And so you begin to collect your data. And so, and so, and so. And then there's an end scene. When the game they forgot they were playing was actually a game. And they realized that it's actually game over now. <laughs> and so here we go. <laughs> I hate you, son. You're becoming such an asshole. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, my brother, Nicholas Van Oort. So, if those of you that have not watched this movie, I urge you to watch the game. Because it was today that a two-year contract for a certain contractor by my book ended. And ironically, it began today, uh, two years ago. And so it's end scene. It should have been a three-year contract, but, you know, they failed. So it should have been end scene because they needed it for 2024. And boy, is this going to be fun. See, what's important that people understand is, is that good, duh, prevails always. And sometimes when the devil asks 
to dance, right? Or the devil is asking people to dance. You know what the worst part is? Is when the bitch that is tangoed with the devils for a very long time asks you to dance. Because then she makes sure that you do the two-step and that you let the world see exactly how these operations happen. And so I'm scooping the person actually putting it together, but Shadowgate 3 is on its way. And while the person that was busy putting on their dancing shoes thought that, you know, now it gets fun. So this is how you win with patience. And don't forget, Van Orden knew it was a game, but sometimes he got wrapped up into it too. Because he thought, I'm losing control. This can't be a game. This is too realistic. But boy, today was end scene. Because today, they closed out their contract by showing exactly, exactly who they are. And since it's public, well, I guess I'm going to let Millie put together that um, trailer and put it out some point. I'm just scooping it. Because I like to do scoops like that. Millie's probably going to hate me for doing that. but And regardless, regardless, sometimes you have to see it yourself. And, you know, when you've got someone that claims to love their country, trash their own information just to target specific individuals that are actually making change. Well, you know, I wasn't always fat. I dance pretty well. I dance pretty well. Wait till you guys see Shadowgate 3. And uh, Russell's really going to hate me because I did not expect it. Like, why is everything happening now, right? Everyone, uh, you know what? It's the devil. See, the devil just is so busy. Nope. Good cannot reign. Nope. We will divide the people. Nope. We will lock them down. Nope. We will shut up anyone that speaks truth. You know what was funny? That today on air, uh, you know, on a live broadcast, Ali Akbar admitted, right? Hold on. Let me see if I can play that audio. Give me a second. You guys need to listen to this. Remember how I told you that... Um, Media Matters was um, sticking up for Ali Akbar. Do you guys remember that? You know, because I have court with, you know, in my Dominion suit on the 4th of May, right? That's next week. <laughs> I mean, I have so much shit to do between now and then. I really don't know how I'm going to do it, but I have to. Um, I'll figure it out. But I wanted to go to a certain part. Let me play this. Let me see. Play. Americans in space, like I just can't understand. I, w I won't go into what what else I'm thinking, but yeah, this is it's just hilarious to me. Can Jason Miller, Cool Smarts, like we the insiders need to start telling the barbarians where the gates are? He's the insider, of course, right? This is what he <laughs> they've just all outcasted him. But anyway, keep going. So they can rip those motherfuckers down. Hold on, let me see what part it is. Thanks for having me uh, on, and bro, I just didn't. As usual, just on fire as usual. 
And uh, this stuff would be so perfect for uh, a late night show. I wish there was a late night show for Finale. <laughs> it would be so good. That's funny. All right, let's talk. Uh, let's talk. Uh, call me after your other call. Talk to you later, brother. Hey, bye. All right. Well, anybody else have any closing thoughts or anything, or are we uh, done with this thing? Cool, folks. Well, I appreciate you guys listening to my rants. Even goes shout out to my haters at Media Matters and uh, Right Wing Watch and and all those other people. I oh, I have a hilarious story. I don't. Well, I guess I'll tell it. There's this one ugly guy who Listen. doesn't get any retweets from Media Matters, who records all these things and then he um without permission and and he uploads parts of them to Twitter. And he tries to get me in fight with people that I like criticize. And so he did this with a reporter. I don't even know if I should be telling this story. Uh, I'm going to tell the story. He, he, he clipped my last telegram live uh, with this reporter uh, where I was criticizing a reporter who said something false about me. And um, the reporter corrected their story oh. and apologized to my lawyer. <laughs> we didn't even ask for the correction. Right. So Media Matters literally got a mainstream first-rate publication to issue a correction on Ollie Alexander, and I got an apology. I got an apology. Right. The reporter admitted that they got it wrong. How weird. They apologized How weird. and corrected it unsolicited. So huge shout-out to Media Matters. Unsolicited. No, it's not unsolicited. Media Matters has been trying to inch and warm up to Ali Akbar because he is also a co-defendant in the lawsuit. He just admitted it. That's so fantastic. And that wasn't Cernovich. That was uh, that inbred Akbar. So I just wanted to say that was crazy that he literally said that. And it's like, no shit. That's why Media Matters and Dominion stuck up for you. Because your loser lawyer, who's also a co-defendant in the capital case, by the way, you know, and, and he's just like super not a good guy, um, you know, <laughs> oh, 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 oh. See, the one thing that I learned is um, sometimes in life, things happen unexpectedly. People expect you, right, to be in their mind, right? But no one is in your mind. Right. People expect you to understand the way you operate, the way you feel and the way you are, because, you know, they think they know you or, um, you know, they have like this idea and then they create these expectations. Right. And this happens all the time across the board. And the foundation of psychological operations are to understand people. Obviously, you use numbers to crunch data like responses and, you know, uh, you use physiognomy to assist in those metrics, right? But the bottom line is uh, the problem that people have is, is that they think they're smart. And how I say this is a lot of us, because we have knowledge, we believe we are smart and therefore we can um, flex that knowledge. We can show that knowledge. We can, you know, we think that we understand things. In essence, humankind is quite complicated. And unfortunately, no matter how you look at it, no matter how much good you do, uh, uh, you know, out of your own heart, the majority of humans have this one flaw that they expect rewards. 
and they expect uh, reciprocity, right? Always that there's an expectation of reciprocity. Can't even speak today. Reciprocity. And that's, and, and that's actually quite telling. That's actually quite telling because that's how you build expectations that fail. And a lot of people take what they've been through in life to respond to people today. So yesterday dragged into today, dragged into the future. And, and this is, um, 100% true in, in every single thing they do. And because they have this, um, expectation of being rewarded or, um, or this idea of an expectation of the person they're with, like either that be a friend or a lover or a coworker, whatever that may be, they fail on that expectation because they actually don't understand the other person and they do not know, you know, how it is, which means that when you create expectations for someone across from you that stands across from you, you will most likely fail on that. And this is why people get sad and depressed. The key in life is not to do things because you expect rewards, but you do things because the reward itself is doing it. And so people get stressed out, they, they feel anxious, they, they cry, they, they, they don't know how to feel, they feel alone or lonely. You know, there's a lot of people that can be in a crowd of people and feel lonely, right? And then there's people that are by themselves and I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, I like that. And, you know, it's like a lot of people, uh, you know, and I can speak to that too. Like a lot of people like to be with people, but to be left alone. Right. And, and, and there's always a good balance in anything you do in life. Right. And this is relationship advice, like with people, with situations. If you're doing something because you expect something in return, you will fail. You will always fail because you have an expectation of whatever that may be. That may be a cookie. That may be a salary. That may, I mean, a job is a contract, right? I'm saying, you know, a relationship isn't really a contract. You're like, hey, we're dating. Hey, maybe you're good at sex. Maybe you're not. Hey, you're a good kisser. I like to do this, right? I'm just saying. But there's no contract in that where you say, I do this for this. So when you're in any relationship, and even, you know, um, w- what you guys do uh, in your interactions, right? If you're expecting a reward or you're expecting some sort of behavior or you're, you're, you're doing like this one-sided contract in your mind and that sets you up for failure because the reciprocity that you're supposed to get is actually just doing it because you want to do it. It's kind of like gardening, right? You know you're going to get vegetables if you garden, right? You know that, right? A lot of people know that. I plant this potato that I forgot in the back of my fridge or, you know, my cupboard, and it's got all those, like, tentacles. I um, bury it, and I know I will have potatoes by cutting out those eyes and putting them there. You know you will have potatoes, right? But the thing is... Everybody knows they can have potatoes. Shit, all of us can have potatoes forever and ever and ever. Not all of us bury that shit to get potatoes. Why? Because we already know what the outcome is of the potato. But the, but the action of doing it is because you find pleasure in it. The action of doing it is because you want to be able to pick it. The action of doing it is because you want to do it. 
So when you do things in life, right, you must do it because you want to. A lot of people that are fighting battles now within the courts and, um, and, and other avenues, they're doing it because they expect things like, uh, I don't know, freedom or fairness or people not being held accountable. In fact, you should do it with the intention that I want it to be honest. I want it to be, I, I'm doing it because I want to do it, not because I want someone to acknowledge me that I did it. I'm doing this because, um, you know, I want to file this lawsuit and, and do the research and do all this shit, not because I want someone to be like, and clap and call me a hero because I want to do it because I can do it. And that's why. And see, this is the problem that we have. We've been conditioned that no matter what you do, there must be a reward. And in our minds, we create this reward in any interaction we have. And studying humans for such a long time, uh, and, and this is why they're able to be sequestered with such false information and embraced in such a false bubble that, you know, they don't even understand the, uh, like, I would say the most blatant statements that, that, that indicate that they're being lied to. And that's because of expectations that people set. People have an expectation of what the villain looks like on TV. People have an expectation of what a hero looks like. People have an expectation of what, you know, uh, you know, freedom looks like. You know, some people picture themselves with a beer and AK-47 just, you know, mudding, right? That's freedom with a grill, right? Other people picture freedom as being able to create rainwater collection in their house and have their own water source. Other people uh, see freedom as the ability to work freaking hard and get rewarded for the work they put in to create those contracts that are fair. Everyone has um, an expectation of what freedom is. But if people actually saw freedom as how they would like their neighbor to have it, it would be different. If you saw freedom as the ability to be able to think, the ability to have unconditional access to whatever knowledge you want, the ability to move freely without fear, think about it. There's a lot of bad and evil people out there, right? Lots of people. Let's 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 like travel back. Let's let's travel a bit back to like the like the fifties. Pedophiles didn't just show up; they existed. Murders didn't show up; they existed. I mean, we had Jack the Ripper, right? But how many of them existed? So, out of a hundred people, two were really bad people that would kill you and rob you, obviously, because they were in the slums or they were just sick and twisted and demented, right? But there were more good people than bad people. Let's go further back. Let's go to the 1700s when everyone was settling in the United States before it was the United States, right? There were some that were thieves and robbers only because they didn't want to work. Those that worked got a shit ton of land and they made a shit ton of babies and their whole families lived on fucking whole county fulls, right? There were more good people than there were bad. So why now are we restricting more freedoms? Are there suddenly more bad people? Maybe. Maybe. 
right? But they're still more good people. So the restrictions that are placed on everyone are based on their expectations, not of freedom, but of safety. And so, and, and this is why people make decisions. Like even in your relationships, every interaction you have with a friend, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, is based on how safe you feel, right? And people will surrender anything to feel safe, especially their liberty. That's the first shit to go, okay? First shit to go. So a little bit about what I'm seeing in the news, right? I'm seeing, you know, exactly what I wrote in my article. People are already talking, oh, let's see how good Trump is at picking winners, See, see, that's it. That's it. That's exactly it. They want to see, oh, is he good enough? Because now your rhinos will say, well, he's not good at predicting winners. So he's no good. In Ohio, he's become a target, right? He's become a target because he endorsed J.D. Vance. And the Conservative Club for Growth, which supports the Ohio treasurer Josh Mandel in the race, is questioning President Trump's decision to endorse Vance, the hillbilly LG author, who had to backtrack his previous criticism of President Trump, right? A lot is happening. And the thing is, people will be like, well, President Trump is getting really bad advice. He should get them fired. I agree. But on the other hand, can you really control something that President Trump is going to fall victim of? I can't predict everything that comes, but you know what? I'll tell you what. If you're doing something good, that shit boomerangs right back at you. If you fuck up and you cause stress to President Trump, if you fuck up and you try to mess with him, that will all come back. People that have done good will be attacked, but their attacks will actually be turned to good. People that have caused undue stress to people that are going good, they will have that ping back. And the thing is, they haven't realized that yet. Everything is a boomerang. Everything is a boomerang. Every single thing. Boomerangs right back. So when, and, and you know, and it's unnecessary. Like all these people are just prolonging the inevitable. Literally prolonging the inevitable. You know, I say this a lot, right? But accidents do happen, right? I'm going to show you about a man who accidentally killed the most people in the world. Wait, I'm just going to show you this. This is a new video and it's had over 7 million views in like five days. That's pretty viral if you ask me. I mean, obviously the channel has 11 million subscribers, but still 7 million views, that's, that's a pretty big deal. So we're just going to see um, uh, the first, you know, 10 minutes of this. Super importante. Listen carefully including himself. Not only that, they decreased the average intelligence of people all around the world, increased crime rates, and caused two completely separate environmental disasters that we are still dealing with today. Part of this video is sponsored by Wren. More about them at the end of the show. 
1944, as a young chemist who had just finished his master's, Claire Patterson went to work on the Manhattan Project, building the first nuclear weapons. His job was to concentrate uranium-235, the fissile fuel for bombs, from the much more common uranium-238. And this required huge machines, mass spectrometers, which separated the two types of uranium by their slight difference in mass. After the war, Patterson went back to grad school to get his PhD. He picked a research project that would take advantage of his experience with mass spectrometers, measuring the age of the Earth. Radioactive rocks are effectively clocks. Uranium-238, for example, decays into thorium and then protactinium and then 12 more decays until it ends up as lead-206, which is stable. The rate of this decay is consistent and can be measured. It takes four and a half billion years for half of a sample of U-238 to decay into lead-206. Patterson's PhD project was to determine the age of the Earth by measuring the ratio of uranium to lead in primordial rocks. But to calibrate his instrument, first he used zircon crystals whose ages were known. Zircon is ideal for this purpose because when it forms, it contains trace amounts of uranium, but absolutely no lead. So any lead that you later find inside a zircon, you know must be the product of a uranium decay. Now, Patterson was tasked with measuring the lead content, and another student, George Tilton, measured uranium. Tilton's uranium measurements were fine. They matched predictions. But Patterson's lead measurements were all over the place, and they were many, many times higher than they expected. We take George's uranium and my lead. Not right, Patterson. There was lead there that didn't belong there. So where was all this extra lead coming from? That mystery would take over the rest of Claire Patterson's life and bring him to the literal ends of the earth. In 1908, a woman was driving across the Belle Isle Bridge in Detroit when her car stalled. A passing motorist stopped to help. In those days, cars needed to be hand-cranked to start. He knelt down and turned the crank, and the engine roared to life, a little too suddenly. The man couldn't get out of the way, and the crank handle hit him in the face and broke his jaw. He died as a result of his injuries. His name was Byron Carter, and he was the founder of his own car company. So he was well-connected in the Detroit auto scene. He counted among his close friends the founder of Cadillac, Henry Leland. Leland was so distraught over his friend's death that he resolved to eliminate hand cranks from his vehicles. Leland hired Charles Kettering to create a self-starting car, and by 1911, he had a working prototype. Hand cranking was difficult and dangerous, and best left to men. But a car that started itself changed everything. The world's first crankless car was the Cadillac Model 30. It was much more powerful than cars before it. It had a top speed of 45 miles per hour and 40 horsepower, double the Ford Model T. The Model 30 was a huge success for Cadillac, doubling the company's annual sales. But it had a problem. It was deafeningly loud. In internal combustion engines, a piston compresses the fuel-air mixture, which is then ignited by a spark from the spark plug. The expanding hot gases push the piston back down. 
the problem with the Model 30 engine was it compressed the fuel-air mixture more than previous models. So much, in fact, that often the fuel would spontaneously combust before the spark from the spark plug. So rather than orderly, perfectly timed explosions, you'd get multiple haphazard combustions leading to turbulent pressure waves inside the cylinder. The resulting sound led the problem to become known as engine knocking. Knocking wasn't just hard on the ears, it hurt the engine's performance. It reduced power output and lowered fuel efficiency. The vibrations also damaged the piston and walls of the cylinder, shortening the life of the engine. The good news was that engine knocking could be corrected by changing the fuel. Different fuels can withstand different levels of compression before detonating. And heptane, for example, will spontaneously combust under only a little compression. Iso-octane, on the other hand, can withstand a much higher compression ratio before it auto-ignites, so it's much less likely to cause knocking. To quantify how much compression a fuel can withstand, scientists came up with the octane rating system. They arbitrarily set iso-octane to have a rating of 100 and n-heptane a rating of 0. Now, real fuels aren't made up of only these two ingredients. They're a mix of lots of different hydrocarbons, but the octane rating tells you what mixture of octane and heptane gives equivalent performance. For example, 98-octane fuel can withstand the same compression as a mixture of 98% octane and 2% heptane. Now, I'm going to take a little bit of 98-octane fuel and put it in this piston, and when I compress it, Nothing happens, which is exactly what you'd expect. This fuel can withstand a lot of compression. Diesel has an octane rating of 20, so it acts like a mixture of 20% isooctane and 80% n-heptane. If I put a little bit of diesel in there, let's see what happens with the same compression ratio. There you go. You get a little explosion in there. That's because this is a low-octane fuel. I mean, that's what diesel's meant to do. You compress it and it ignites. But you don't want this sort of fuel in an engine with spark plugs. The reason fancy cars demand high-octane fuel is to prevent knocking in their high-compression, high-performance engines. Kettering wanted to find an additive which would increase the octane rating of ordinary fuel and eliminate knocking in high-compression engines, so he hired 27-year-old engineer Thomas Midgley Jr. Midgley experimented with all sorts of compounds, from melted butter and camphor to ethyl acetate and aluminum chloride. He later wrote most of them had no more effect than spitting in the Great Lakes. Ethanol was an interesting exception. It did stop the knocking, but you needed a lot of it, about 10% of the fuel mixture for it to be effective. That much ethanol would be expensive and hard to turn a profit on. And Midgley was really after an additive that was cheap, easy to produce, and effective even at low concentrations. So he kept trying. Then he hit on tellurium. It worked wonderfully as an anti-knock agent, but it had a terrible smell. You couldn't get rid of it by changing clothes or bathing. His wife was so offended by the stench that he had to sleep in the basement for seven months. Midgley wrote, I don't think that, although this doubled the fuel economy, humanity would suffer this smell. On December 3rd, 1921, after five years of working on the problem, Midgley found what he thought was the perfect solution tetraethyl lead. That's a lead atom right there in the center. 
This additive was exactly what he was looking for. It stopped the knocking, it didn't smell, it was cheap to produce and readily available. Best of all, you only needed one part in a thousand for it to be effective. In a call to Kettering, Midgley said, can you imagine how much money we're going to make with this? We're going to make $200 million, maybe even more. That is over $3 billion in today's dollars. Now, for his discovery, the American Chemical Society gave him the prestigious Nichols Award, and they asked him to do a series of public talks, but Midgley declined. He and Kettering patented the process for making tetraethyl lead, and they called their new additive ethyl, perhaps so it might be confused with another common additive, ethyl alcohol. They made no mention of lead. Then they teamed up with three of America's largest corporations, General Motors, DuPont, and Standard Oil of New Jersey, to form the Ethel Corporation. Their marketing was brilliant. No man can look at the amazing record of accomplishment here in this research division without confidence that these men are going ahead with an eye to the future, looking for new facts and principles which will make things better and make life easier for all of us. At the 1923 Indianapolis 500, the top three finishers all used ethyl, and the demand for leaded gasoline took off. To keep up, Ethel Corporation had to build a new chemical plant in New Jersey, but the project began terribly. Within two months of operating, dozens of workers fell ill with lead poisoning. Five of them died. To address the public outcry, Midgley held a press conference, and there he poured tetraethyl lead onto his hands, and he inhaled it for a full minute. He claimed he could do this daily without harm. But Midgley knew the dangers. Of that time that Barack Hussein Obama refused to drink the Flint water. At least he didn't drink it. This guy didn't mind. Let's keep going. The reason he had turned down the public talks was because he spent much of 1923 in Florida, where he himself was recovering from lead poisoning. He didn't go anywhere near his company's product if he could help it. Lead is dangerous even in small doses. It mimics calcium in our bodies, so there's no efficient way to get rid of it. And like calcium, lead can be stored in bones for years, meaning it can continue to poison the body long after the initial exposure. The organ most sensitive to lead is the brain. Lead breaks down the myelin sheath around axons and prevents the release of neurotransmitters. That's why common symptoms of lead poisoning are headaches, memory loss, and tingling in the hands and feet. And children are particularly susceptible. Lead exposure can cause permanent learning disorders and behavioral problems. And the dangers of lead had been known for hundreds of years. Already in 1786, Benjamin Franklin remarked that lead had been used for far too long, considering its known toxicity. You will observe with concern how long a useful truth may be known and exist before it is generally received and practiced on. He would have been aghast to learn that nearly 150 years later, scientists planned to add lead to fuel. Doctors and public health officials from MIT, Harvard, Yale, and the U.S. Health Service wrote to Midgley and warned them against producing tetraethyl lead. They called lead a creeping and malicious poison and a serious menace to public health. Their concerns were dismissed. 
This model shows how just the right amount of fluid containing tetraethyl lead and dye is added to the gasoline. No one doubted that a lot of lead was bad for you, but how much harm could a little lead do? By the 1950s, millions of motorists globally were burning lead in their cars and releasing it into the air. Some of that lead ended up on Claire Patterson's zircon samples, preventing him from determining their age. In 1952, he moved to Caltech, where he built a new lab from scratch. Suspicious of environmental contamination, he tore the electrical cables out of the walls to remove the lead solder. He cleaned the floors and benches daily with ammonia and made sure that air was always being blown out of the lab. To go inside, you had to wear a plastic bunny suit. Patterson basically invented the clean room. Inside that room, he turned his attention to the oldest rocks in the solar system, meteorites. All the original rocks on Earth had long since been destroyed by tectonic activity. But meteorites come from asteroids, which formed around the same time as Earth. They have just been drifting through space until they entered the Earth's atmosphere. So the best way to measure the age of the Earth was to measure the age of meteorites. Patterson measured five meteorites, each with three different radiometric dating techniques, and he found they were all 4.55 billion years old. That number is within 0.15% of the currently accepted value for the age of the Earth. You know, before Patterson's experiment, people thought the Earth was a billion years younger. So Patterson had done it. He measured the age of the Earth. But he wasn't done getting rid of lead contaminants. Public concern about lead exposure had continued to grow. But president of Standard Oil Frank Howard pushed back, saying, We do not feel justified in giving up what has come to the industry like a gift from heaven on the possibility that a hazard may be involved in it. Scientists funded by the Ethel Corporation claimed that lead was a natural part of our environment and therefore not harmful to people. But Patterson wondered just how natural is the lead in our environment? And he had just the skills to find out. He began by measuring lead in the oceans. If it were natural, he expected the concentration of lead to be the same regardless of depth. But if lead pollution had increased recently, it would be more concentrated near the surface. He took samples in the Pacific and Atlantic Oceans down to a depth of four kilometers. And sure enough, lead concentrations were nearly 10 times higher near the surface. Lead pollution was clearly recent, but when exactly had it occurred? To find out, Patterson had to go to Greenland and Antarctica. Ice cores record the level of lead in the air going back thousands of years. The levels of lead in the atmosphere have been elevated for the last 4,500 years. All of it is due to human activity, mainly smelting ores to make metal. You can see the rise and fall of the Greek and Roman empires, the dip caused by the Black Death in the 1300s, and of course the spike in the 20th century due to industrialization and tetraethyl lead. So what did this do to people? Well, Patterson looked at the lead levels in the teeth and bones of recently deceased Americans. And for comparison, he measured the lead in bones and teeth of Peruvian and Egyptian mummies. Since they lived over 1,600 years ago, they would have been exposed to much less lead in their lifetimes. 
He expected to find modern Americans had about 100 times as much lead in their bones, but results showed it was closer to a factor of 1,000. 20th century Americans had 1,000 times more lead in their bones than their ancestors. Studies of baby teeth revealed that even lead exposure well below the level considered safe resulted in delayed learning, decreased IQ, and increased behavioral problems. And there is a, a broad consensus on the part of everybody except the lead industry and its spokesman that lead is extremely toxic at extremely low doses. A follow-up study showed that those with higher levels of lead in their baby teeth were many times more likely to fail out of high school. As a result of studies like these, the CDC's guidelines for the acceptable level of lead in children's blood dropped from 60 micrograms per deciliter down to 3.5. And as far as we know today, there is no safe level of lead. Globally, lead is believed to be responsible for nearly two-thirds of all unexplained intellectual disability. According to a study published in 2022, more than half of the current U.S. population, that's 170 million people, were exposed to high levels of lead in early childhood. Those born between 1951 and 1980 are disproportionately affected. The authors estimate that in aggregate, lead caused a loss of more than 800 million IQ points. The world is less intelligent today because of leaded gasoline. But there are even more troubling correlations. The U.S. saw a steady rise in crime from the 1970s to the 1990s. Then it abruptly declined. This graph looks eerily similar to a plot of preschool blood lead levels, just offset by 20 years. The obvious question is, did kids who were exposed to higher levels of lead grow up to commit more crimes than they otherwise would have? You might think this is just a spurious correlation, but the same pattern appears in many countries, including Britain, Canada, and Australia. And we, and we know, know there's a causal connection between lead exposure. Wait a minute. What's the main ingredient that everybody keeps complaining about in the vaccines? I'm just trying to think. Oh, shoot. What's it called? Oh, right. That's right. Uh, lead and mercury. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like, oh, my gosh. So we were just talking about crimes, weren't we? <laughs> we were just talking about crimes. See, this is how things just, ah, ah, right. So, um, and what was it that they had in Ferguson? In their water? <laughs> in the one that Obama didn't drink? Right. Lead. I'm just I'm just trying to think. I'm just trying to think. Burglary rate rises, blood in the lead, crime rates, violent crimes. Because, you know, they used to have murderers, psychopaths, you know, losers, thieves. Right. Like before. But it was never such a big problem as it is. In modern history, right, after about the 70s, where, huh, you see? See, it's so weird how things are just interconnected. It's a man who accidentally killed people. Eh, kind of sounds like he gave them the golden goose. This is how you control people. You cause it crazy. You cause a disruption in security. And then what you do is you have them forfeit their rights for that security. Because I'm pretty sure that in the 20s, yeah, I did say Flint, Michigan, didn't I? I did say Flint, Michigan. 
what did I say? I, 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 well, Ferguson actually had it there in Michigan. They, they actually had let it. Oh, that story wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't publicized. Whoops. Uh, but Flint was just known because, because <laughs> they flipped the switch and they had this whole thing. Sorry. Whoopsies. Whoopsies. Whoopsie. Ferguson was the one that had the Obama phone so they can see how they can further instigate it. That's right. My bad. My bad. So anyway, oops, ips, ips. Anyway, having said that, see, what you do is you create the necessity for security. Therefore, people will forfeit their rights. And it comes in small doses. Well, this is working. This isn't working. This can work. This can work. And this is how we move it along. It's just a pretty simple, long-standing plan, right? Um, and that's that's pretty fascinating, if you ask me, right? To have this long-standing plan of um, taking over the world, right? <laughs> that's it, taking over the world. I. I I wanted to show you guys how operations are. Some can be very long standing and others are smaller operations like you're going to see. See, operatives have to um, non-willingly participate or willingly participate. So like, for example, uh, the mayor of Flint and when he flipped that switch and totally destroyed the people because he's like, oh, this is cheaper. We're just going to get water from everyone was dying. He was an unwilling participant. He was doing it so he could shave off money and save the city money, so whatever. But the people that convinced him, the people that convinced him, that influenced his decision, knew what they were doing. Kind of like how doctors and biologists and biochemists and pharmacists and pharmaceutical scientists created all these concoctions knowing some of the details, but not thinking, oh, it's crime related. But there were other people that influenced them. No, oh, maybe you should use like lead and we should use lead here and, and mercury. It's cheaper. And you're like, yeah, it's cheaper. It is cheaper because we want people to use this shit because that will help increase crime. And then people will need us again. Compare it 1910 to 2010. Look at the crime difference. You see. Evil always has a plan. And, and, and I think a lot of us, the one thing that we seek, especially now in the time of confusion and, and coercion and influence operations is stability. We want to know, you know, that when we wake up in the morning that the sun is going to rise. We want to know that, um, you know, the person sitting next to us is, is there, right, for us. Um, we want to know you know, that at least that there's that trust of, of, of respect of, uh, you know, uh, just respect. I guess that's, that's, that's just basic and simple. We just want to have respect and it's not respect like, yes, sir. It's like just respecting the fact that you're a person and you should be acknowledged and, you know, there should be that communication, but that what they've done is they've obfuscated communication amongst the ranks. So it's the guy that makes the paint and they're like, yo, you know, lead is a lot cheaper. And if you do it like this, this scientist, here's a paper, it's all better. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cut corners. We make the same fucking paint and sell that shit for $5 a gallon. And it only costs us 20, 20 cents to make. Sounds like a stellar plan. They're doing it for money. They're convinced that it's cheaper. But the guy who paid for those research reports, had other things in mind. 
you see, it's, it's kind of like a trickle. There's always someone at the top giving instructions. And the only way that the people would ever know what a plan is, right, is either that someone from the top grows a spine and says, you know, this isn't right. Kind of like the whistleblower that went to Lieutenant Scott Bennett. It was high up there in the ranks at the AFL-CIO and said, I've got a laptop and I've got this. This doesn't look right. You know, that's what an actual whistleblower is. They whistleblow things that they're not supposed to talk about. Things that are taboo, not things that are documented, okay? Things that are taboo. And it's just common respect for human beings and acknowledgement. I think the way you communicate with others indicates the level of respect. Like, for example, for someone I totally do not respect, right? They'll call me and they'll know. They'll, they could be in the same room with someone who's like FaceTiming them, right? And they will call me and I'm fucking send that shit to voicemail, Right. That's me telling them, I don't respect you. I'm going to ignore you. I know sometimes we ignore people because we're upset or, uh, you know, whatever. Your senator will advise you, hey, you know, you're right. The plan is that we're going to chip everyone. And if they're not on the system, damn it, you know, they're not getting food. They're already implementing it. That's respect letting you know. Straightforward, right? straightforward. Yeah. And I am, I'm not eating. I was messing with my rubber band. (laughs) I just saw that comment just flipping. I think, what are you eating? It's like, no, I'm messing with my rubber band. Um, so respect for your fellow human is key. Always. If they respected you, right. They would tell you the truth. If they respected you, they wouldn't laugh at you. Uh, Let's, you know, I like words, right? I like words. So let's see a word. We're going to go down to the four corners of the earth. What corners? I thought it was a sphere, right? All their maps that are official in communications don't look like spheres. They look weird. They tell you the people are extra terrestrial, meaning more terrestrial. And you're like, no, wasn't the word exo? No, it's extra. Because it used to be exo genos, which means outside of Earth. But it's actually extra. Extra, like what, like more? I'm trying to understand. Is it, does, does that mean like more of Earth? Uh, you know, another mocking thing, uh, you know, we're fact checking. You know, we're just making sure that it's facts. And it's like, but it's version of facts. Remember, they were fact checking the Russia hoax. They were fact checking that President Trump was spied on. They were fact checking this. And I did tell you a while back that, see, the respect you get is from someone that's not going to tell you something you want to hear, but tell you something that is fact. Ministry of truth. I mean, that was coming. Now everyone's going a little bit, you know, going wild. Oh my gosh. 
They're having someone that's going to be like the governance of information. What does that mean? Oh, we're just going to, they're just making sure that the information we get is safe. Uh, right? We just need to make sure that people are getting safe information. Can't have you guys talking on the side. Okay. Can't be Googling things are not allowed. Okay. You just have to make sure that the information is correct. And why do we say this? Because on the next half, we're going to see information, right? Information that, you know, everyone is pushing. When I wrote my article about Trump and how he's getting misadvised, when I wrote my article about truth, it wasn't to be snarky. It was to show that Ali Akbar, for example, was placed there on purpose to destroy it. Why? Well, Elon Musk is going to come and save the day. Look at all the people on the right. They're like, oh, let's make liberals cry again. You got Tracy Beans, thirsty as fuck. I'm making a new Twitter account. I've never asked, but can you retweet this so people follow me? It's like, you're just thirsty because you think you're going to go back to your glory days. See, this is what they want. The control and power of the system they had. It's like trying to do 80s hair today. I mean, you could do it. <laughs> it's like, why? You see, it was important because this was coming. And a lot of other people, you know, and I have to disagree a little bit with Steve. He's like, well, Tesla is going to tank. Actually, Elon is super fucking smart. And this is why I like him in that sense. It doesn't mean I agree with what he does. Don't get me wrong. I actually thought that a lot of people that were monsters throughout history was like, damn, I like them. Their mind is so good. But why are they doing it like this? Like, why are they misapplying the gifts they have? But let me show you how he's gonna, how he, how he sees this. So as you all know, all these car companies are coming out with like electric cars, right? They're coming out with like the Cadillac Lyric, BMW, all of them are getting electric cars, right? And um, <laughs> so now he gets into Twitter and everyone starts saying, oh my gosh, you're going to see some clips from like CNN, super cringy. It's like the new I'm moving to Canada, uh, you know, thing and how bad it is that Elon's doing this. And this is terrible, you know, that Elon's doing this. And the thing is, Elon's Elon, right? They're going to start hating on Elon and, you know, it's not going to fix it because Elon has like seven kids. Do you guys know that, that he has like seven kids? Did you guys know that? He has like seven heirs. Okay. Seven fucking kids. I think two of them are like 16, another two like 17. Yeah. He has like a ton of kids. Anyway. So this guy really doesn't care what they have to say. He's putting missiles up. He's got Starlink up, right? He's got the whole nine yards up. Actually, his first child was born naturally and died uh, of SIDS. So everything else had to be done IVF, just so you guys know. That's like so tragic. I guess maybe that's when he stopped with the whole vaccine stuff. But anyway, um, so Elon is just being Elon. He loves attention, right? the attention that he wants, right? He totally loves it. And I'm all game for it. I'm like, all right, he's totally chill. He gives zero fucks. He's putting missiles in the sky. Okay. Yeah. People are like, no, it's spaceships. Okay. You, you call them that. Okay. So, um, so he's doing all these things, <laughs> this exploration, right? Um, 
He's doing all these things. He gives zero fucks. He's got Starlink up. Then he's going to connect everybody's brains to it, right? So he actually doesn't care. And right now, right now, as everyone is attacking him for Twitter, Twitter then becomes his own publishing space. And there is free speech and it's all those thirsty, you know, Twitter people. (laughs) The people that thought they lived and breathed Twitter. They were like, oh my gosh, I need to check Twitter, right? So Twitter's like so freaking 2009. It's like, I'm so over that, like seriously. Um, But anyway, the reason he's doing it is because in 2024, there's going to be a barrage of electric cars that are going to be coming out right now. Everyone's seeing that Teslas are priced, you know, between 50,000, right? And 200,000. And I'm going to tell you that um, the minute the other vehicles come, he's going to fucking cut and slash his prices to undercut them. And no one will be buying other cars. And I wouldn't say buy another electric car. I mean, this guy has done a decade of work ahead of them in that. You're going to go jump into a Lyric that's been tested for like three, four years uh, that may or may not explode on you, that may or may not have navigation. I'm being dead serious. The auto drive and navigation is the most important part of the Tesla, right? And he's smart. And don't forget, BlackRock owns a lot of Tesla. Again, so I'm just pointing out all of this, right, is all linked back to that. He's going to be one of the most strongest publishers. And, you know, a lot of people are like, well, no one contested when Bezos did it. That's old gods, guys. We're in the new God realm. This is Mr. World coming in. Like, and the thing is, you know, you're seeing the right divide, too. Everyone thinks that President Trump is going to go back to Twitter. Fuck that. He's not. Why would he? He doesn't need it. All the thirsty people will go like, oh, follow me. Oh, I'm back. Come here. Follow me. You know, then you have like these idiots like Cassandra Fairbanks come out and say things like, well, I don't believe in like banning people. There should be free speech, but maybe you can punish them or shadow ban them or do this or maybe like remove their account, but they should be able to create a new one. And it's like, bitch, that's still censorship. Where the fuck are you sitting? Like, you okay with censorship? But if it suits you, right? I mean, the only time that anyone should be banned is when they put child pornography or actually commit crimes. You know, that's where they should be locked up, right? You're committing a crime. You're doxing someone. You're out. You're committing a crime. That's child porn. You're out. You're committing a crime. You're talking shit about minors. Out. This is the type of shit we need to see. So um, (laughs) I'm seeing the right completely implode. The rhinos are backing Twitter. Because they think it's what's right. I mean, who want, Who wouldn't want to kiss up to a billionaire, right? Let's be straight, right? And I know that, that Elon sees that shit. He knows that they're all sucking up to him because he's a quadrillionaire, right? And he's got it, right? Let's be straight. He knows that. Everyone's just thirsty. Oh, Elon's my friend. And Elon did this for us. And then Elon gets to influence politics. And then Elon gets to, I don't know, maybe instead of doing these things, we could just neuralink people. 
And that's how we chip them faster. I know how to chip brains. Shit, I could chip hands faster than that. In fact, I could just do a tattoo. Fuck Gates. I got better tech. I've been putting shit in people's brains. You tell me I'm wrong. I want to be wrong. You tell me I I am wrong because I really want to be wrong. Now, I want to take you back to, um, what is this, uh, 2011, so 11 years ago, June, to where there was an Obama impersonator at a rhino conference. Well, there were some Republicans. I'd like you to watch this for a second because it's, you're going to see something and be like, oh, I get it. Let's take a look. Dustin, Dustin Gold, where is, where is he? He's the fellow that produced it. Where, uh, what, what, what are you guys doing here? What, what's going on? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. How are you? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all so much. Now, I know that you're Republicans, but that welcome was pretty weak. So, listen, I'm going to go backstage. And you're going to try that again. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. How you doing, Louisiana? Thank you. That's what I'm talking about. That is a welcome. Thank you. Thank you all so much. Yes, we can. Uh, God bless you. Now, now, that's enough. It's my turn to speak. Now, it, it's great to be back in New Orleans. Now, is it hot outside or is it just Al Gore? <laughs> now, let me be clear. Let me be clear. I'm here today to extend an olive branch to the Republican Party. Now, I don't want to ruffle any feathers here today, but would you all mind uh, uh, changing this room around according to the uh, pre-1967 seating arrangements? So you over there, maybe over there, and you there. Now, I must thank the chairman of the National Republican Committee for all that you do. Uh, what is it exactly that you do? Oh, well, that's right. I appreciate you. I really do. Uh, Reince Priebus. That name sounds a little fishy. <laughs> Uh, can someone call Donald Trump and, and verify his birth certificate? <laughs> now, I think we can all agree that an event like this needs a voice from Washington, a voice of reason, 
a voice of hope. Uh, someone is going to look you right in the eye, uh, give you a big hug, and let you know everything's going to be okay. Uh, unfortunately, Michelle couldn't be here. <laughs> now, when Vice President Joe Biden heard I was coming here today, uh, he, he truly wanted to be here. He was so excited. He, he pulled me in close. He held me tight. <laughs> he leaned in uh, just like that. And he whispered in my ear, this is a big effing deal. And that's why I said, I know. That's why you're staying here. But you may be asking yourself, what is the president doing here today? The budget's out of control. Uh, the deficit is rapidly growing. And there are threats of a government shutdown. So uh, I figured I'd do what any great president would do in these trying times. Head down to Louisiana and polish up on my golf game. <laughs> Looking good. But I love vacations. Uh, a few months back, uh, the family and I took a nice relaxing vacation uh, in the state of my birth, Hawaii. Or as the Tea Partiers still call it, Kenya. But time does fly when you're having fun. Uh, we're more than halfway through June already. Now, uh, my favorite month is February, Black History Month. You see, Michelle, she celebrates the full month, and, you know, uh, I celebrate half. My father was a black man from Kenya, and my mother was a white woman from Kansas. So yes, my mother loved a black man, and no, she was not a Kardashian. Uh, now, most of you know I still haven't been able to quit smoking, and I'm afraid I might need some outside help. Uh, take a look at this picture someone snapped at me on the 2008 campaign. Yeah, one year later, someone snapped this photo. I need help. Somebody. But the worst part is presidents age so quickly. Now look, this is General uh, George Washington before he agreed to be our first president. He's looking nice and young. Uh, this is President Washington while he was our president. And this is George Washington today. Oh, yeah. You see what I mean? Now, here's... Uh, w before 9-11. He's looking good, decisive, on point. And now after 9-11.
Not so good. It's confused. Now, look at this. I love this photo. Uh, we are ready to take on the world. I had my team of experts use the latest computer technology to predict what Michelle and I are going to look like at the end of my first term. But despite all that, uh, at the halfway point in the most historic presidency in the history of the United States, I've got two words for each and every one of you. You're welcome. <laughs> now, you're welcome for the thriving economy that I helped to create. You're welcome for the peaceful relations in the Middle East that I helped to forge. And you're welcome for the gift of humility, which I've given to Anthony Weiner. <laughs> That's right. I may have given him the gift of humility, but you paid for that cute little towel. But, truth be told, I never was a fan of Wiener. That boy was always trying to one-up me. I released my long-form birth certificate. He releases his long-form Twitter photo. Now, I must say that the state of our union is uh, not good. Uh, the debt is rapidly growing, unemployment is quickly rising, and people are being forced from their homes. I feel their pain because in two years that could be me. Oh, settle down. Settle down. That's enough out of you. Now, I was criticized for joking about shovel-ready jobs uh, the other day. But the truth is, we need to build tunnels and bridges. Uh, that way, people would have something to live under <laughs> or jump off of. Now, in a recent poll, uh, only 15% of Americans believe that there will be a Great Depression. Uh, but the bad news for me, the other 85% believe it will only be a very good depression. <laughs> now, I'm proud to say that we're finding great strides, uh, or we're making great strides in finding non-combat solutions uh, to finally deal with Muammar Gaddafi, uh, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, and Kim Jong-il or as we refer to them in the Situation Room, uh, two and a half men. <laughs> oh, look at little Tim, isn't he cute? Uh, little, little man. 
Now, Attorney General Eric Holder, at my direction, will be fighting uh, Alabama's controversial immigration bill that's even more extreme than that of Arizona's. It states that the police have the probable cause to check anyone's immigration uh, status if their complexion is greater than or equal to that of John the Crybaby Boehner's. You want to see my impression of uh, Speaker Boehner? Here we go. What do you think? I've been working on that for months. I don't know why that man cries so much. Those spray tans aren't cheap. $40. Now, let me be clear. I am against any state interfering with federal immigration law. Uh, shortly after Arizona passed its bill, I received a letter that said, Mr. President, uh, I was born in this country. I get up early every day. Uh, I work extremely hard, come home to my wife and my kids, and still the police stop me and question my intentions. I don't think Senator McCain should be treated that way. Or do I? Now, I'm proud of all that. But listening to the attacks from my opponents and the right-wing media, you would think I haven't gotten anything done. But, you know, it's true what Harry Truman once said. If you want a friend in Washington, get a dog. So I did. His name's Bo. Oh, there he is, a good boy. Uh, actually, his full name's Bo Diddley. Now, Bo comes from my initials, Barack Obama. And Diddley represents the amount of support I've gotten from Fox News. But he sleeps out in his doghouse every night out, out there in the Rose Garden. But it's not a new doghouse. From what I'm told, Bill Clinton slept in it a lot. But perhaps my expectations were too high when I took this job. You know, as you can recall, my slogan was, yes, we can. And I got to admit, I thought we could. But apparently, no, we can't. So in front of you all here today, this afternoon, I'm unveiling my new slogan. I killed Osama. What do you think? Yeah, it wasn't George Bush. It wasn't Dick Cheney. That was me. I did that for you. So, you know, uh, uh, that's my new slogan. I think it's pretty cool. But you right-wingers should be proud of me because the mission to capture bin Laden wasn't only successful in that I killed him, and I also, uh, in cooperation with two of my uh, bigger liberal supporters, proved that you were correct after all. Torture does work. <laughs> Who'd have thought? 
But the economy is frail. It's barely moving. It's gasping for air and desperately clinging to life, uh, just like Newt Gingrich's campaign. Now, come on. He's in serious trouble. His consultants are dropping faster than Anthony Weiner's pants in an AOL chat room. But now, speaking of candidates, a little birdie told me that uh, you're all looking for someone to challenge me in 2012. Yeah. Really? Well, how's that going for you? Okay. Well, let's see. You got your front runner, uh, Mitt Romney. Now, don't get me wrong. He might make a great president along with his first lady, uh, second lady, uh, third lady. <laughs> now, it's unfortunate that Tim Pawlenty couldn't make it here, but cut him some slack. He's having his foot surgically removed from his mouth. <laughs> oh, no, don't worry. Luckily for him, it's covered under Obamacare. So, yeah, that along, along with spinal transplants. <laughs> yeah. Come on. John King served him up a ball softer than Barney Frank's backside. Now, because of him, people are asking me, uh, when am I going to explain the details of my health care plan? And I've got three words for you. So am I. <laughs> now the Donald. Remember him? Yeah, he chose not to run as a Republican, but uh, he's now threatening to run as an independent. But the only thing running independent of Donald Trump is his hair. <laughs> now we got... Michelle Bachman. Now, what can I say about Michelle Bachman that she hasn't already said about herself? Uh, the other day, she called me a one-term president. It was a one-syllable president. Go. God bless you. God bless the United States. God, God bless, bless America. America. Thank, Thank you. So, that was your RNC led by Rince Priebus, obviously taking a jab of President Trump. And as you saw, it was Michelle Bachman that ended it and what he said. Now, that wasn't the real Barack Obama. That was an impersonator that the RNC hired for entertainment, though it was riddled with truths. Because I, I think at some point when I popped into the chat, because I have to go to like another screen, someone's like, this is an altered video. It's not altered. This is from the RNC convention in 2011.
And what you see is that they all knew who Wiener was in 2011. Every single one of them, just one of many things you heard. You should see them for who they are and what they stand for. Because <laughs> what we're going through right now is literally a revolution. I'll see you guys in just a bit. We will not comply with the institution's sick illusion. No, it won't be televised. Welcome to the revolution. We will not comply with the institution's sick illusion. No, it won't be televised. Welcome to the revolution. The revolution won't be televised. Government been telling lies. If you're not with us, you better step aside. Witnessing the genocide. Everything is centralized. The food that we consume and they spraying it all with pesticides. Easily identify the sheep and the snake. The real and the fake. Giving us a reason to pray. I'm going to make my own choices. A voice for the voices. They trying to destroy us. Avoiding the poison. It's all pointless if you don't have a purpose. If you read the verses, you'll know who we verse it. Government can tell you what your worth is. Look deeper than the surface they don't even want to research it or asking questions we all being tested Shh. shut your mouth they comply that's the message want you depressed on prescriptions that mess with your head got you stressing suppressing expression we will not comply with the institution's sick illusion no it won't be televised Welcome to the revolution. We will not comply with the institutions. Take illusion, no, we won't be terrified. Welcome to the revolution.